That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. We need to roll back the state. We spy on all of our own citizens. Our prisons are flooded with nonviolent drug offenders. If you want to know who America's next enemy is, look at who we're funding right now. Every single one of these problems are a result of government being way too big. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Part of the Problem. I'm Dave Smith, the libertarian Tupac. He is Robbie the Fire, the king of the cocks. What's up, brother? How are you feeling today? Dude, looking forward to some Albany action. Hell yeah, we're on our way tomorrow. We head up to uh, Albany, spending the weekend there at the Funny Bone, doing a bunch of stand-up comedy shows. Come on out if you're in the Albany area. Come have some fun with us. And then uh, I think the next stop after that is Zany's in Chicago. I'm looking forward to that one a lot. I've heard great things about that club, and I've never uh, never done it before. But our Chicago uh, people always show up for us. So, and if Chicago's you're an Albany be a person, rarely are there things in the area that don't doesn't suck. So, like this is an it's opportunity true. to actually do, like it's almost going to take you out of your neighborhood for a full evening. Yeah, there you go. This is as good as it gets for Albany. <laughs> what, are you going to go check in on the governor? Dumb losers! Your stupid town. Please come see my show. <laughs> okay. ComicDaveSmith.com. That's where you can go for all the uh, ticket links and all of our future dates. More dates uh, are going to be added very shortly uh, to the website as well. So go go uh, every day. Every day you got to be refreshing. ComicDaveSmith.com. Or you go over to RobbieTheFire.com. That's Rob's site. Get all his stuff. Follow him at Twitter, at RobbieTheFire. Check out the Run Your Mouth podcast. Uh, what else you got going on, Rob? Uh, some report store coming up. Going to be uh, responding to emails, confirming dates shortly. So I'll be on the road all summer. Come hang out. Excellent. Very good stuff. So as by uh, as I'm, I'm sure many of you have seen by now, uh, Elon Musk sat down for an interview with the BBC um, and it was glorious. Just wonderful. There's something uh, th this clip has been going super viral, but there's a lot to it. That, that's just very interesting. One of the things that uh, I, I've found and, you know, I over the years at this point, I've done a lot of uh cable news appearances i've i've you know uh i've done lots of different shows and you know I, I worked for cnn for a while i've done a lot of stuff on fox news and you know i've gotten into arguments there with progressives and conservatives and stuff like this and one of the things that is really what's very interesting if you're kind of outside the corporate press world and you go into it is that it's almost like 
if if you could imagine it like a brick wall that's presented to you on television, like this is a brick wall. Look, looks pretty strong, right? You know, it looks like yeah, this is would be really hard to get through. And then you go there and you realize it's made of Play-Doh. Like it looks pretty good on television, but is it, it has no ability to stand up to the slightest pressure. And that's one of the things that's so amazing. It's like, it's almost like this whole ecosystem relies on the fact that nobody pushes up, up against it. Because once you do, it's not just that you can get through it. It's that people see right away like, oh, my God, there was no resistance. That's not a brick wall at all. It's not even like we, we're arguing it should be a different type of wall or something. You're like, no, that is not a brick wall. You have nothing. And I've had a lot of experiences like this. I'm sure listeners of this show have seen a bunch where I've like battled it out with people on cable news and they're just like have nothing. They have no, it's not like, look, there's been like I've had like podcast debates and stuff where like, OK, someone put up like a pretty good argument, you know. Um, or did a pretty good job defending their argument, at least. Never anything like that on cable news. You just don't get it there. And these people in the corporate press world are so insulated from the most basic pushback that they don't know what to do when they receive it. And Elon Musk, of course, has become, you know, one of the public enemies now of that world. And it's that, all of this stuff is just very interesting to me. So, it's interesting why he's like, why is the guy who was making like environmentally friendly uh, cars all of the sudden like the big enemy of the establishment? And the reason is, I think, fairly obvious. It's just that, well, essentially, they don't want it to be known that their brick wall is really made out of Play-Doh. And what he's done is purchase a major communication platform and allowed people to get in that they want out, essentially. So anyway, uh, why don't we, let's let's go to the clip and play a little bit of it. If you haven't seen it, I found this very entertaining. So let's check in on Elon Musk. I, I mean, I would, I would only just add that, you know, we have spoken to people who, who have been sacked that used to be in content moderation. And, and we've spoken to people very recently who were involved in moderation. And they just say, they just there's not enough people to police this stuff, particularly around... Um, particularly around hate speech um, in the company. Do, do, is that well, what hate speech are you talking about? I mean, you use Twitter. Right. Do you see a rise in hate speech? I mean, I, I, but just a personal anecdote. Like, what do, do you? I don't. P personally, my, uh, for you, I would see I get, I get more of that kind of content, yeah, personally. But I, I'm not going to talk to, talk to the rest of, for, for the rest of Twitter. So you see more hate speech personally? I would say I would see more hateful content in that. That. Content you don't like or or hateful? What do you mean to describe a hateful thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, just content that will solicit a, a reaction, something that may include something that is slightly racist or slightly sexist, those kinds of those kinds of things. So you think if I'm, something is slightly sexist, it should be banned? I, no, is I'm that not, what you're saying? I'm not saying anything. I'm well, saying. I'm just curious. What you, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you mean by hateful con content. And I'm asking for specific examples. Um, and if and you just said that if something is slightly sexist, that's hateful content. Does that mean that it should be banned? Well, you've asked me, you've asked me whether my feed, whether it's got less or more. It, I'd say it's got slightly more. That's what I'm asking for examples. Can, right. you, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't. Need, I, I, honestly, I you don't can't need, name I, a single example. I'll tell you why, because I don't actually use that for you 
feed anymore because I, I just don't particularly like it. But you said actually, a lot of people, a lot of people are quite similar. I, I, I only, well, I only look well, at my, my followers. You said you've seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example, not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks. And I, well, then I how did you see that hateful content? content? Because I've been, I've been using, I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen that you for you hateful content. I'm asking for one example. Right, and, and I, you can't I, give us a single one. And, and, and I'm saying, I, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yes, because you can't give me a single example of hateful con content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well, that's a false. No, what I claimed, you just lied. What no, no, what I claim was. Uh, there are many uh, organizations that say that that kind of information is on the rise. Now, whether whether it has on Give my feed or example. not, I mean, I, right, and Literally you can look at someone one. like the, the uh, Strategic Dialogue uh, Institute in the, U in the UK. They will say that. So they, Look, people will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example, and you can't name one. Right, and as, as I've already said, I don't use that feed. But let's, well, then how let, would you know? Let, that I don't you, think this is getting anywhere. You literally said you experienced more hateful content and then couldn't name a single example. Right, and as I said, I that's absurd. I haven't, I haven't actually looked at that feed. I then would how would you know this hateful content? Because <laughs> I'm saying that's what I saw a few weeks ago. I can't give you an exact example. Let's move on. We have, we only have a certain amount of time. Um, I think we got well, pause COVID here. misinformation. You, here, I mean, yeah, pause it, pause it here. I mean, it's <laughs> really like watching a dad talking to his four-year-old who clearly stole cookies and just asking yes. questions and just being nine levels ahead of them. Yeah, when like they're like, but it, it's just first of, it's just I I don't know what to say about the fact that he just makes him go in circles like four times ago. But you said you've <laughs> noticed more of it. You started by saying that these people have been fired from content moderation. That's a problem because there's an increase in hate uh, hateful comments. I've noticed it, and then he goes, "Well, okay, give me one example. Like, what are we talking about here?" And then he's got to, you know, go go through again. He goes, oh, well, I can't think of one. And he's like, well, I don't know because I don't use it. Go, but you said you've noticed an increase in this. So, like, anyway, the, uh, it's pretty transparent how full of shit this guy was. But what, what, the thing that's interesting about this, number one, it like the first thing that I said at the beginning, it's like you see kind of like this narrative that's constructed. But the narrative is so weak. Like, it's there's... Uh, it does. It can't withstand the slightest pushback. If anyone there is not just regurgitating this narrative, it collapses under its own weight. But there was an there's an important reason why Elon Musk was insisting on an example, um, and it's because he's like, well, what are we talking about here? What are the definitions of these terms? Like, give me an example of this, because the guy says slightly racist or slightly sexist remarks and of course then it makes you wonder like okay but what are you defining that as like what is a slightly sexist or racist remark this this is the the tactic that i'm sure everyone's basically picked up on at this point but this is the tactic that the progressives use they have these incredibly broad terms um like hate speech hateful content racism sexism and then he's even saying slightly racist or slightly sexist so like what does that mean what do we define these as you know because obviously if you want to take a like some type of strict definition you could probably yes you could apply this all across the place there is no group of people who are more overtly sexist and racist than like 
woke, radical feminist progressives. They'll, they're completely driven by identitarian ideology. But you're not calling for any of them to get kicked off of these platforms. And the content moderators, certainly under the old regime, certainly weren't looking at any of them, right? So it's like, what are we really talking about here? You're talking about basically if it's going in the other direction. Like anything blasting straight white men or something, that's never going to be a thing that gets you kicked off of any social media platform. That's not getting you demonetized on any on YouTube. That's not like that's not happening. So he's saying, oh, OK, so when you have like kind of an establishment progressive saying slightly, even they use the term slightly, slightly sexist. Like, what does that mean? I think that the uh, social hierarchy is so ingrained in white males that anything they say is slightly sexist. Right. Well, it's I mean, always coming from a perspective of uh, oppression. There, I mean, there is literally that statement is you're making it to be funny would fly in almost any college campus in America. As it'd be like, yeah, that's a totally reasonable thing that that guy just said. Like that, this is the crazy world we live in. So when you say slightly sexist, if you were to say that, like, look, if I were to say there are differences between men and women, there are lots of circles in the world that would consider that a sexist statement. You know? And it's like Elon Musk is, is going like, okay, so what are we actually talking about here? Like, give me an example of what was said. And then, of course, he's pressing... It's very easy in the abstract to say, you know, I think that hate speech should be monitored or something like that. Uh, there should be content moderation for hate speech. That's, that in itself sounds fairly reasonable in the abstract. But the more specific you get, you're like, tell me what this person actually said. And then you look me in the eye and tell me that they should be silenced for saying that. That, that becomes a bit more difficult. That becomes more of a thing where most people don't want to say that. You know what I mean? And this is why he won't give an example. It's not because he can't think of one. You see, everybody could think of an example of one tweet that was shitty that someone said to you. <laughs> so I literally just this, I literally just before we started here recording, I was scrolling on Twitter and saw like five mean things people had said to me on Twitter. They were kind of hateful. So I get it all the time. It's like, okay. What like what are you what are you calling for here? So anyway, my point is that it's not that you can't think of a, of a hateful tweet. It's that he knows that as soon as he says an example of one, he gives away the whole game because then he's going to specifically say what someone said and say that they should be silenced. It's such an absurd argument anyway that like hateful speech on social media should be silenced. And this is somebody who like I I'm pretty outspoken with my political views. And uh, that these days that will get you a lot of hate. If you have a big following and you're like, on, like have strong political views, you're going to get hate on social media. I get a ton of it. But first of all, I don't understand how it bothers people so much. Maybe I just naturally have a thicker skin than some, but it's just insane to me that th this is like a major, like, okay, they, I don't know. I, I do this. What I'm getting hate for is because I am, uh, I am exercising my right to speak my mind. And so I got to respect those people's right to speak their minds too. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so they've, they don't like me, whatever. They have a right to say it. And there's a feature on Twitter that will silence them forever to me. I can literally just hit mute and they're gone. They don't exist anymore. So what, what would I be complaining for? Is someone else has to be in content moderation. It's so ridiculous. Um, 
But then, and then of course the claims of like, so what, and, and what if someone is slightly racist or slightly sexist, but they should be unpersoned. They don't have a right to speak anymore. It's all just so absurd. And so the guy kind of knows, and this is why, because look, this is bad. No one wants to look like this guy's looking right now in the interview, but he recognizes, and I think somewhat intelligently that he's better off just looking this bad than actually giving the example and then stating that he wants that person to be censored. Cause that's really what this all comes down to. I don't know. Any other thoughts you had on that? It's, just, it, it's amazing to come in this unprepared. Yeah. I, I, this would be like if every day on your television network, you said that someone was a racist, then you finally get an interview with the, you sit down and you go, you know, everyone's calling you a racist. And the guy goes, cool. What do you think I did? That was racist. And you had nothing. And you go, yeah, well, well, it's like, a, it's like if me or you, like, uh, I, I don't know if if somebody came on our podcast and was just like, well, libertarianism is stupid because X, Y, Z. And we were just like, whew, I got nothing. <laughs> You'd kind of be like, whoa, what? But you guys have been talking this whole time about it. Like you you have no response to this at all. It's just but like if, if you like, you know, were debating someone and they were like, well, you know, everyone needs to get vaccinated and boosted or to slow the spread of COVID. And you were like, Okay, well, that is, I've never really thought about slowing the spread or something. You'd be like, what, what? But you've been talking about this for years. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Facet. Look, talking about money is often stressful. It can be overwhelming. And because of this, it occurs much less often than it should. Financial wellness is the key to unlocking your full potential and enriching your life beyond what you thought was possible. Facet can help you not only start the conversation about money, but support you every step of the way so you can make financial decisions with confidence. Everyone should have a go-to financial partner to guide them through a continuous and ever-changing life journey. Facet's planning goes beyond just retirement and investing. They'll advise you through every financial decision you face, things like real estate, tax mitigation strategies, understanding your benefits and equity compensation. A Facet membership gives you access to unbiased, personalized, and actually affordable financial advice for every facet of life. A FACET membership includes your own dedicated CFP professional, the highest possible certification, plus a team of experts who use industry-leading technology and investment management strategies based on Nobel Prize-winning research to help make all of your complex financial decisions easy and stress-free. And right now, FACET is offering a $500 kickstart to your financial wellness journey. They're waiving their $250 enrollment fee for new customers that sign up for annual membership, as well as offering $250 into your brokerage account if you invest $5,000 or more within the first 90 days of membership. If you're still wondering if FACET is for you, take their free five-minute financial wellness quiz to unlock insights into your personal finances. Check them out at facet.com slash P-O-T-P. That's F-A-C-E-T dot com slash P-O-T-P. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth Incorporated is an SEC registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it an investment legal or tax advice. All right, let's get back into the show. Anyway, let's keep playing the end of the clip because this part is good too. You've changed the COVID misinformation. Has BBC changed its COVID misinformation? The BBC does not set the rules on Twitter, so I'm asking you. No, I'm talking about the BBC's misinformation about COVID. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm literally asking you about, you changed the labels, the COVID misinformation labels. They used to be a policy, then then disappeared. Why, Why do that? 
Well, COVID is no longer an issue. Does the BBC uh, hold itself at all responsible for misinformation re regarding ma masking and, and side effects of vaccinations and not reporting on that at all? And what about the fact that the BBC was put under pressure by the British government to change its editorial policy? Are you aware of that? This is, an, this is not an interview about the BBC. Oh, so. you thought it wasn't? <laughs> and this, I see now why you've done Twitter Spaces. I am not a representative of the BBC's editorial policy. I want to make that clear. Let's talk about something else. You want I'm to talk about the BBC? All right, let's, 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 talk about, let's talk about something else. You weren't expecting that. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> Man, the guy really just starts squirming too. I mean, look, what can you even say there? It's... A, Imagine not being prepared for that retort. Where you're like, well, you guys aren't you guys aren't labeling things COVID misinformation anymore. You guys were doing that all the time. What happened? Now you took over and they're not doing that anymore. It's like, well, what about your misinformation? Hmm. Stumped. Nothing. No response to that. Now, I got to like, say, Rob, I mean, what could he say? What is there to like say to that? It's like he found out he got the interview three minutes before and he goes, all right, what can I get this guy on? Okay, they got rid yeah. of the COVID misinformation label and we got a rise in hate speech. I'm good to go. And then yeah. he sat down and he goes, hey, you guys got a rise in hate speech. And he's like, well, what's the rise? Ah, fuck. All right, well, let's change topics. What about getting rid of COVID misinformation? You mean everything that turned out to be true? It's just a, a, a remarkable uh, unpreparedness. Or stupidity yeah. or cockiness. I guess it's just a cockiness of thinking, uh, hey, know, I'm I... part of the BBC and these are the questions. And as long as I ask them, this guy's got nothing. I think it's a, a lot of it really is about being tremendously insulated in the world that they're in. And this was the feeling I used to get uh, back, back when I was uh, working for SE Cup, when I was a contributor on her show. And, I, you know, I would talk to her like off camera also because we'd always argue about the wars that were going on and she would have this thing again this is it's not that she said this to me it's just like she would say things to me and i could kind of deduce certain things from it but she's like you know she's like i just got off the phone with you know dick cheney's chief of staff and then I, I I was talking to some other guy, the guy who's like, you know, the number four guy at the Rand Corporation. And then I was talking to somebody, you know what I mean? Like it's there would always be like these things where she's talking to these supposed experts in the field. And I'm talking to like Scott Horton, you know what I mean? And like I'm, ta I'm talking to like a whole different group than she is. But then there's like. It's almost like the her main issue was Syria at the time and how we have to overthrow Bashar al-Assad. And I'd be given all of these points about like why, the, you know, uh, uh, this whole war is America's fault and how our foreign policy has been a disaster and all of this. And I throw these things at her that I could tell she had never even considered. She had never even like heard about this. Like, like we'd get in conversations and I'd be like, she'd be like, well, Bashar al-Assad started killing all the people in, in 2014 and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, yeah, but in 2012, we launched Operation uh, Timber Sycamore. We started arming all the anti-Assad rebels. That's what led to this civil war. And she just hadn't heard that. You know, like she's just like no one had ever told her that was the case. And she didn't know because she wasn't listening to the stuff I was listening to. She wasn't listening to anyone who was being critical of the, you know what I mean? Like of, of American foreign policy, but she was listening to people with really impressive titles, 
men who are, re you know what I mean? So like a lot of these guys, I think in like someone who works at the BBC, I mean, yeah, they haven't heard anything like the stuff that we've been talking about, but they have spoke to, you know, somebody with a very nice sounding title at the national Institute for health. They have spoken, you know what I mean? Like they've, and so in their mind, they're like, well, I've talked to like all the experts on this. They're in their little world where they think like, no, this is the accepted wisdom. And so then when they, when they talk to someone at, like, I don't think a lot of these guys were like, I, I'm not saying there aren't some people say at CNN or the New York times or whatever, who are like just evil people who are lying through their teeth. There are some of those too, but there's also a lot of people who like, we're just like, no, oh, this is the, this is the accepted wisdom all around us. And this is what we believe. Like we've all, all the scientists have decided the vaccine is what we need to do. And those like, you know, I've talked to all of them from people at the CDC to people at the NIH to people, uh, you know, in Cuomo's office. And okay, this is what we got to do. There's a consensus amongst all the powerful people that we need to vaccinate our way out of this pandemic. And they, and they, they know like that Alex Berenson is a heretic. They know that, you know what I mean? He's against this whole thing. But do you really think any of those people have like sat down and read Alex Berenson's Substack articles and really looked at the, oh, okay, this is the argument he's making. Oh, what does the data actually say? Is he right or is Fauci right? It's like, I don't think so. I think they just know he's a heretic. He's outside of this whole system and all the scientists say he's wrong. That's what they know. So I think it allows them to be really confident in these positions, but they're confident with no understanding of what the other side is actually arguing. And so they go into it like this, go, well, you're not policing COVID misinformation. You go, are you policing your COVID misinformation? And he's like, whoa, what? In his mind, he's already like, but what COVID misinformation? But he's insecure enough to know that like, and it did turn out a lot of the things we were saying weren't right. You know what I mean? So he doesn't want to like push anymore on that. But of course, as we've been saying for, for years now, I mean, look, the greatest purveyors of COVID misinformation were uh, were all of the established corporate outlets and all of the government agencies and all of the uh, politicians. There's literally nobody, there's nobody out there, no matter how bad they were on COVID, who put out more uh, misinformation that actually led to more, um, you know, horrific policy outcomes than the establishment. Okay. All right. So anyway, moving on uh, from the Elon Musk thing or anything else you want to add on that, Rob? I just, uh, these people surprise me with how unprepared and stupid they are. I don't understand how they have the jobs that they have. Just it the was, homework I was, would think you would have, you would do if you were getting to sit down with Elon Musk. Yeah, that was, uh, to me, one of the things when, when Scott Horton debated Bill Crystal, I got to say, I was blown away by that, blown away by it. And it's, a. Uh, and I, I know Scott Horton is right, and I know that he's more researched and well-read on the topic than Bill Crystal is. I knew he was going to win the debate. There was never any question about any of that to me. But I was blown away by how much Crystal just had nothing. Like, and he just folded. He just basically accepted in the thing. He's like, oh, he basically after Scott's opening statement, he was like, oh, I'm not gonna beat this guy and i'm just gonna like it was it was like a boxer you know sometimes if you watch mma or you watch boxing sometimes a guy's just getting beat so bad that they start fighting to just not get knocked out like let me just let me just survive this let me get out of here alive and that's like they're not fighting to win anymore um and it was like that 
but there's something about i guess particularly also because i'm like a um i'm a jew from new york and stuff like that so like the neocons always kind of had this um this kind of like reverence this uh um like a a reputation for being smart and serious thinkers and they were the guys at city college who were sitting around you know debating philosophy and that these guys like and and you got a guy in bill crystal who like this is his career he's made an entire career out of not being like not even just like me or you again it would be like me showing up to a debate on libertarianism and just folding having no arguments to defend it you know like whether or not you agree with me is almost beside the point. I'm saying just not even having an argument and just getting up there and and as some guys just tearing libertarianism apart, I'm just going, well, we just have fundamentally different views of this. Well, we'll just have to agree to disagree on that. And then and then literally not even using my allotted time. Like the the major challenge, and I've done one of those Oxford style debates. The major challenge of doing an Oxford style debate is you get you get like 15 minutes to open uh, then a five minutes for rebuttal, you do a few, whatever amount of time you get during the Q and a section is like, however many questions you get, you know, however, so that's affected by how long the people asking questions take to ask their, their questions. And, and then you get like a, I don't know what they do, like a 10 minute closing or something like that. And the major challenge is getting all the shit that you want to say into it. You don't have that much time and you got a ton to say on the subject. Everyone who's there has a ton to say on the subject. Cause like, that's why they're there, because you've got a lot to say on this. There's no, there's never anyone there who's like, oh, I don't really have anything to say about this. It's always like, oh, okay, you, you know, if, if me and you were, if, if either me or you were to do an Oxford-style debate on, say, COVID, um, well, me and you have been talking about this for three years. For three years, three times a week, you know, three hours a week, we've been talking about this. So now you got to fit that into, you know, a half hour of talking time or whatever it ends up being, you know, you're like, okay, shit, I got to find the most important thing to say. And a lot of this has to be cut out. And that's not, you know, that's challenging. Crystal just was like, he'd have five minutes left on the clock and just go, eh, that's, that's, that's all I, I have to say. It was insane, but it was just crazy to be like, so th this is your main issue. And then when it comes to it, you don't even have anything. Now I knew he would lose. I knew Horton would, would body him. But I thought he would come with something. I thought he would come with something that was an argument for why, you know, we needed to this this regime change policy or whatever. It's nothing. That's really interesting to say. All right, let's take a quick moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Bambi. If you run a small business, you might ask yourself, who is running your human resources? If the answer is I'll figure it out or no one, that's not great. But don't worry, Bambi is here to help. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses like yours. So you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. First, Bambi's HR autopilot automates your core policies, workplace training, and employee feedback. Then your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance. They're available by phone, email, or real-time chat. An in-house HR manager can cost you up to 80 grand a year, but with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just $99 a month, no hidden fees, and you can cancel anytime 
This is a great product for small businesses. If you run a small business, you got to go check out Bambi. It could save you a ton of money and really help out your whole operation. Bambi has received thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, and their customers are four times less likely to have a claim filed against them. You run your business, let Bambi run your HR. Go to Bambi.com slash P-O-T-P right now for your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash P-O-T-P right now. Bambi.com slash P-O-T-P. All right, let's get back into the show. All right, anyway, moving on, there was another clip going viral that uh, that caught my my attention, my interest. This was uh, um, Anna Kasparian from uh, the Young Turks. Um, it's, a, I don't exactly know. I'm not like a, a young Turks, uh, viewer. I, I used to see some of their videos a lot more than I do these days. They were, I, they were really kind of pioneers in this, uh, internet news world. They were one of the first big like internet shows. Um, Cenk Uger, uh, was while they were doing it, I believe it was while it was, it was first starting. He had a show on MSNBC. So he was like, kind of like, it was a very different thing. Nowadays, I think a lot of them probably have podcasts and stuff. But back then, it wasn't like, you know, you didn't have like a guy like Chris Matthews didn't have his show on MSNBC and then also have some Internet show that he was running. So he went on, M- on MSNBC for a while. They were running the show. The The channel blew up. They did a lot of other shows off of that. Uh, of course, people who became like stars in this world were all under their banner at one point, uh, like Dave Rubin and Jimmy Dore were like, part of the young Turks guys. And then they went off on their own after they had falling, you know, falling out with, uh, with those guys, but they were kind of like in, in many ways they were kind of, I don't know how to put it exactly kind of representative of what has happened in the, within the mainstream left over the last say, oh, I don't know, 10 years or something like that, maybe 15 years where they kind of, they, they went hardcore in the woke democratic socialists, you know, democratic socialist on economics, totally woke on culture. Um, they seem to me to have kind of fallen out of relevance. Like they've fallen out of being in step with uh, where audiences are today. Um, anyway, so Anna Kasparian got a lot of heat recently because she tweeted something out about um, how uh, she didn't like women being called birthing people, which is like pretty common sense. Obviously, it's always it's so I obvious. Like to reduce it's like, women just down to that. That's it. They're they're not even worth the sex. It's just the fact it that is, they can pump up a baby if they choose, and if they don't, then they're just worthless. Might as well just off them young. It is it is pretty funny when like the convergence of like woke with like the caricature of whatever the most chauvinistic thing you could come up with being said would be like, they're just, you're just back like, yeah, who would think that a woman would want to be called a mother and not a birthing person, you know, like, by the way, I do, I remember that. Fuck. I can't remember exactly what they said, but it really did piss me off when we were at the hospital, when my wife was having our first child, they have like, they had like a, like a chalkboard, almost like kind of thing, not like a dry erase board, um, with, uh, and it was like mother, uh, Lauren Smith. And then it was father, uh, or no, I'm sorry. It was mother Lauren Smith. And then it was support person, David Smith. And like, that's, it, it's like this kind of thing where, um, like for, 
I guess for the woman who doesn't have a father in her life, it's like, oh, we all just have a support person. So maybe it makes them feel better. But like, to me, it just felt like such a slap in the face. You're like, I'm the father, motherfucker, not the support person. And like much in the same way that women are birthing people, but they could still like, yes, I am supporting this whole operation. That is true. But there's a, there's a name. We have a name for what we're called and we're, let's stick with it. Father, husband, that any of that would be fine. Anyway. Uh, so she said that, um, and, and she was getting a lot of heat for that, uh, recently. Um, and then there was this little, uh, little tirade that they went off on the other day. Now this it's, as I said before, they went very socialist with their economic views, very woke with their cultural views. So first she kind of pissed off the woke mob. This one I actually found a bit more interesting because um, obviously, look, I mean, what can you even say? The woke shit is just insane. It's just insane. It's uh, it's uh, 90 plus percent of people know it's insane. Um, of the Of the people who are supporting it, the it's made up of two it's a coalition of two groups there's the people who know it's insane but aren't saying anything and are just going along with it because they for whatever reason feel pressured into doing it and then there's mentally ill people those are the two people who make up the woke shit that that's it it's either people who know it's crazy but they're going along with it maybe because uh it benefits them they're intimidated into challenge not to not challenge it um maybe they like it they like the control that it gives them but they know it's they know it's bullshit but they're going along with it and then there's literally insane people that's the only group so it's like okay that's one thing to stand up against that this was more interesting on a lot of uh levels because it started going after more of the economic shit and it seems like I don't know. I mean, you saw the clip too, Rob. It seems like Anna Kasparian is almost like floating dangerously close to destroying her entire worldview. <laughs> if that makes sense. Okay, we, we can play a little bit of it and then then you can give your thoughts, Rob. Happens is I know that in, in California, at least with the phasing out of gas powered cars, and they'll probably do the same thing with uh, gas stoves is they just ban the sale of any new gas powered cars or any new gas stoves. And so the technology that you have in your home, the gas stove that you have in your home, if it breaks, not only are you not able to buy a new one, but it gets increasingly more difficult to just repair it. You get what I'm saying? And so like- I that's, get it, but look, that's, a bump, that's the normal bumps in the road as you transition to things. I know, but Jenk, like don't minimize the financial burdens associated with these things, okay? Because no, like I am- literally freaking the fuck out about the charging station thing. I'm like, it's gonna cost, we're gonna they, take out a massive fucking loan to pay for it. We're not getting any help from the fucking government on that. I, did you did you guys ask, is there any tax credits? But seriously, Jake, seriously there's no government help at all to Jake, transition you guys? I don't give guys? a fuck about tax credits. No, no, I'm we saying for watch. the HOA. Like, no. And it, we get to watch more of this, which is great, but you're watching a wealthy, attractive, mm -hmm privileged lady yep. freaking out about a slight cost in her life. Now, understand that this whole ESG, switching over to electricity, getting rid of your cars. Yes, this is. Th these are the earliest converters out in California, and they're realizing that they're being lied to and that we can make an easy transition over to these things and it's not going to affect your life. And here you have a lady who probably can afford that charging station. She can afford the electric vehicle. This isn't 
in the world of privilege, this actually is not probably even that much of a hindrance for her. Yep. And she is freaking out because she didn't realize that her talking about global warming might inconvenience her life even a little bit. And she's in the category of person that this is okay for. It's going to be reality for a lot of people that Klaus uh, Schwab line of, hey, you're going to own nothing and be happy when all of a sudden, yes, the equipment in your house has been banned. And you have to suddenly, there were things that you used to have in your house that you have to go rent time from other people to go use. You don't have a car you can just get into and drive to work. I mean, like that, that's what we're fighting for right now is keeping free markets that you can continue to use goods and services that have existed, continue to improve, and actually provide value and you can afford. If government steps in and just completely gets rid of these markets and pretends like there's alternative technology that can replace it that isn't ready, doesn't that's just socialism. You're going to see what we had with uh, COVID when you had all of a sudden the airlines couldn't run, all of a sudden your doctor's giving you bad medical advice. That's how way socialism operates. And then they got to pretend like everything works, blah, blah, blah. You end up with rationing and people starving. But this is just funny yeah. to see a privileged lady freak out over a little expense, which is exactly showcasing why her worldview is going to be terrible for the poor. Yeah. To, to your point about like how w- during COVID we saw all of these things in the economy start falling apart. Um, you know, it's like it reminds me of the old Leonard Reed eye pencil uh, thing, which I'm sure a lot of people uh, watching or listening uh, uh, are familiar with. If you're not, it's the idea basically is if you take something as simple as a pencil, something uh, and and the idea is that no one in the world knows how to make one. There's no one person in the world who could actually produce a pencil or even knows how to begin producing it. And that sounds like, wait a minute, that's not right. I know, you know, my uncle works at a pencil factory. Probably no one does. But but it, the, the point is that you realize even that person, there's so many other more materials and then so many materials you needed to get those materials. And, you know, like the graphite has to come from the ground. And in order to get that, you need a big drill. And in order to get that, you need metal. And in order to get that, you know, and when you realize that it's like, Oh, there's so many layers. There's like millions of pieces of information that have to come together to produce a pencil. And when you when you wrap your head around that, the, like if you were just talking about this in an ab- abstraction, you might go, oh, so is it, what does a pencil cost? Like five million dollars? And you're like, no, they're like five cents. And you'll see one on the ground and not think twice about it. But there's actually millions of pe- of pieces of information that are all put into the production of this item. And that um, there's no, you know, department of pencils. There's no czar of pencils who's shouting instructions out to everyone. This happens in a completely decentralized, completely voluntary manner. It's actually really beautiful when you think about it. And this is true for like every little thing around you in your house that's been produced. It's true for all of them, that there was millions of pieces of information and, and all types of different specialized knowledge that had to come together for this to happen. And it comes together, it works. But you understand this when you start just having like some centralized force that we call government come in and insert rules. We can't do this anymore. You can't. It's almost like it's like if you opened up someone's scalp and you're looking at their brain and like there's a lot going on there that all works together. And you're just like, let's start messing with it. You know, and it's like you're going to cause disasters that you didn't even realize were were had anything to do with what you were doing. It's like, what do you mean? The foot's not working now, but I just touched a little thing up here. It's like, yeah, it's all interconnected and it's all very, very complicated. Anyway, that aside, I kind of look, I get where she's coming from because look, the, like you said, this has now touched her life. 
This isn't just her arguing about like, but I'm a good person because I care about the environment and you're not as good as me because I'll tell you how much I care. Now it's like, wait a minute, there's a cost associated with this. There's a cost to me associated with this. And I think one of the things that she's running up against, which is one of the reasons why um, this, this, all this climate hysteria and the ESG shit and the Green New Deal and all this stuff is just so insane and destructive and terrifying is that on some level, whether she's saying it or not, she realizes that this is for nothing. And that's the truth. This is for nothing. And everyone knows this. Everyone knows that if, if in the United States of America, if we even all of their leading scientists would acknowledge this, they go, if we went carbon neutral tomorrow, that doesn't change anything with the models of where the climate's going to be in the next hundred years. It doesn't do anything unless you got India on board and China on board and Russia on board. And uh, unless you do it as, as a globe, even their scientists would tell you it's not going to be enough. And what are the chances that we get India and China and Russia on board? What? Zero? <laughs> I guess it's above zero, but it's pretty damn close to zero. So this is all just meaningless. It's just uh, like uh, adding a cost for no reason. And, the, I, and she's starting to realize that, yeah, this is stupid. This is this is stupid. And it's, you know, when she says I'm freaking out about this because I think it must be like her building or something like that, because I, I, she said that we are taking out a massive loan. She must be talking about like her building is probably investing in like a, uh, one of these charging stations or something like that. But it's like, yeah, you're freaking out about it. How about the guy making 50 grand a year? What do you think he's feeling about it? When it comes when it comes to him and now it's it, one of the things that's interesting about it. And this is why these fucking socialists are like so goddamn out to lunch is that your whole ideology is claiming it's all supposedly in the service of, of being the champions of the working class. That's like supposed to be the whole point. And like you don't but like you can't appreciate why the working class completely rejects all this shit is because. Yeah, like as you kind of indicated, Rob. Okay, yeah, it's an inconvenience to you, rich lady. Uh, but to them, it destroys their life. It's a big difference, you know? This is like, um, you know, like, I, I, I appreciate that I'm in like a, a somewhat, you know, like fortunate, uh, like position too. I'm not like saying like, I'm not the guy making 50 grand a year. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I've been very blessed and I've built a career or whatever. And like, okay, so I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. But I talk, I think about this stuff a lot, you know, um, where, where you'll go, like, you know, if you go to uh, what, like if you, if, if we get clothes for our kids, you know, my wife was just telling me the other day, she's like, we, uh, she got like some clothes for the kids at Walmart. And she's like, you know, for the same amount of getting this at like one of these nice, where we typically go to like these, these clothing stores, She's like, you get the same for like a third of the price. You get clothes for the kids at Walmart. And she, they just needed a few things and she was by a Walmart. So she's like, oh, I'll go get that there. And she's like, man, this is like way, way cheaper. And like, we're lucky that we're not in a position where we really have to like, you know, stress about that. But you'll see sometimes like these these uh, democratic socialist types who are like critical of Walmart and how it's, you know, there's their Chinese goods or whatever. They don't pay their workers enough or something like that. They'll be like, oh, people shouldn't shop at Walmart. And you're like, okay, but just like, do you ever even take into account the, like for some people, that is such a huge difference. Like the, the fact that you can get the same amount of clothes for a third of the price. It's like a huge fucking difference. 
The difference between whether they had to spend 300 bucks or a hundred bucks is like, if you're making like 500 bucks a week, that's a huge, huge deal. And so these things that they think are inconveniencing them, stop and think about how much it affects people who are not doing nearly as well as you. It's that, that's, if you really want to be the champion of the working class, that's what you should be thinking about. And I like how if this lady just didn't have the minor inconvenience, she would have been on board with him lying when he goes, oh yeah, it's growing pains. Because that's the way that they're going to sell it is, hey, listen, the environment was going to kill you tomorrow and we got to go through these transitions because as long as we invest in these transitions, the technology, it's all going to work itself out and you'll be in the same place and they are lying to you. That's why Biden just created this new initiative that like uh, cars have to be like totally electric by 2030 or whatever. You know what the cost of that's going to be? A lot of people that currently had cars were able to drive to work won't be able to do that anymore. You're going to have to get like an Uber every day to work. And it's going to be more expensive because guess what? You're more reliant on it. So as there's more demand for rideshare services or something else because you can't afford your car. And there you go. That's the you're going to own nothing and be happy part. Because they're going to goods and services that you currently are able to afford. They're going to create legislature so that you can no longer get those goods and services. And now all of a sudden your ESG investors, their investments that wouldn't have been profitable in a market are now profitable. It's just yep. a different way of robbing you. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Exactly While pretending right. like, hey, we're here to benefit everybody. We're just looking out for you. Yeah. All right, let's keep playing. So I, there's the- been no talk of tax credits. I haven't seen anything about tax credits. I should look into it. Maybe there are tax credits, but I don't give a fuck about tax credits because you have to shell out cash. Okay? Like, I just, I want to do something in response to climate change. That is not my my issue here. My issue is how like we're forced to make all these changes that are a, a financial burden, a giant again? inconvenience. Firstly, this is not that big of a financial burden for you. Secondly, this is not a giant inconvenience. You're seeing who this lady really is. This is yeah. when she gets mad at her husband. You're seeing who she really is. Um, and yes, your entire philosophy about government intervention into the markets and green energy. No, you actually don't believe any of it because you just had the slightest inconvenience in your life and you're realizing, oh, I'm wrong. The the La La Land picture that I've been yeah. trying to paint that we could prevent uh, global warming by me, by just magical green energy cars off of an electric electricity grid infrastructure that doesn't exist. I'm sorry, you don't care about the environment. What you really care about is living your nice life, and your life is actually pretty nice. The other people gotten, who are making 50 grand is- a year won't be able to go to their construction job. Yeah, yeah and you've made yourself this nice life by talking about how the government should be doing this to other people. Right. Like you've made this nice <laughs> life by railing against capitalism, railing against racism, railing, all these things, promoting this climate change agenda. And you say, well, look, I'm really happy to do something about climate change. That's not the problem. I want to do something about this. It's just that the government's forcing people to blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, dude, that's been our objection this whole time. You're literally, she's like teetering on the verge. Like she's on her her tippy toes about to fall into the swimming pool of her entire worldview collapsing. It's like, yes, the, exactly. That's what every inch of, of advocating for government intervention is. It's them forcing people to impose costs on themselves. That's it. All of it. Okay? Yes, like, okay, so you're, you're happy to do something about climate change. Just only the things that don't affect your life, that don't cost you money. Oh, all right. So are all of us, I guess. (laughs) 
All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Paint Your Life. This is such a great company. Paint Your Life transforms your photos into one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portraits done by professional artists. I am in the process right now of getting one. My wife does not know about this. She's going to love it. And this is such a cool, if you're looking for a great gift to give your wife or your mom or your dad, something that's going to really mean something to them, you got to do this. Get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You can upload the photo to create anything you imagine. Put yourself in a location you've always wanted to go. Add a lost loved one to a special occasion to create a portrait of your dreams. Lots of options. Your choice of artists, art medium. You can use oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal, uh, and much more. And they have a great selection of quality frames. It's a user-friendly platform. It lets you order a custom-made, hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. You can communicate directly with the artist to ensure that the portrait is painted just like you dreamed. Get a hand-painted portrait in as little as two weeks. The perfect birthday, anniversary, Mother's Day gift. It's meaningful, it's personal, and it's heartwarming. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, you can get 20% off your painting. To get that 20% off, all you got to do is text the word PROBLEM to 87204. Just the single word PROBLEM, and you send that over to 87204. One more time, text the word PROBLEM to 87204 to get 20% off paint your life. Go check them out. Let's get back on the show. Um, all right, let's keep playing. With like little to no help. And the, the solution from the government in terms of like, no, no, you get, you get financial benefits for doing this is fucking tax credits. No, I don't want, I don't want the tax credits. I will give me the money. Give you, give me the money. Okay. Don't tell me this bullshit about how I have to buy like some new fucking thing. Cause the government's forcing me to do it. And then like, after I file my taxes, there's a certain portion of that purchase that might be tax deductible. Like, fuck off. I I can't, I'm you, so who, sick of it. It's just for like, a second. Sure. Who does she think is supposed to give her the money? Like, do we got a direct relationship with God that he can just hand us the money so that the green energy stuff can work? I mean, who specifically right. is the person that's just supposed to hand her the money so that she can get the climate goals that she's been preaching about. I guess, the I guess it's the guy The guy making 50 grand a year is now supposed to hand Anakin. Yeah, aren't you money. in the elite? Aren't you the person that we should be taking the money to, to giving it to the other people so that they well, might even be out there? Isn't that your philosophy? Well, it's another thing of this kind of like uh, the democratic socialist left types that they can never, they, they can talk all day about the, the rich, you know, the people who need to pay their fair share and all of this. But no matter how successful they are, it never applies to them. You know what I mean? Like Bernie Sanders can still talk about the billionaires, but like it, it they never put themselves in that position. Uh, my four Even houses? Though, like, I'm, right, I'm like, not supposed to be able to have four? I, 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 mean, I need right. four. It's like, yeah, Bernie, like most people don't have multiple homes. <laughs> like that's most people don't make over a million dollars. Like most you're you're in the top, bro. You are the millionaire billionaire class. Um, and then if you kind of like even zoom out a little bit, if you look at it on a global level, we're all in that class. If you look at it now, now if you zoom out in terms of time, 
and you look at in terms of people who have existed from the beginning of humanity, we are all in that class. The guy making 30K a year in America is amongst the richest people who's ever lived. You know what I mean? And so, but they, they somehow always like put on the blinders to that, that it's like, okay, so why don't you give up all your shit then? What's your fair share to pay, right? Shouldn't really, you know, the funny thing about it is that they all become, uh, they all become nationalists when, when the rubber really meets the road, you know, cause like if you go to, if you go to any democratic socialist, uh, or, you know, any one of these like left leaning redistributionist types, uh, and you go, well, look, I mean, the wealth gap between like, say the working class and the super rich in, in America is like, okay, you can talk about that all day, but how about the wealth gap between just like all of us and the poorest people in Africa? I mean, they got nothing. You know what I mean? Like, you, whatever poverty you think we have here, it's nothing like what they have there. Um, why shouldn't we give all of our shit to them? Like, shouldn't it be forcibly taken from all of us and give it all over to the poorest people in Africa? And all of a sudden, they just want a national policy. They just want to... And there's a thing about national socialism. It's kind of ugly. Uh, it doesn't have the best track record. But anyway, uh, let's let's keep playing. Like... Endless pressure, 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 pressure. I can't take it. Yeah, I hear you. And and we ask too much of the middle class. We ask too much of the average person. Oh, the person. middle class is the most fucked group of people in this country. No, I hear you on all that. But at some point, we got to go to electric cars. We don't have a choice. Like the plant's burning. So we got to go to electric cars. So when California says, hey, let's go to electric cars by whatever the number is, 2025, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be tough, but yeah, and when but I'm, at the same time, now prices are coming down, right? Okay, but Jake, let's not minimize the cost of like actually charging those cars, right? Because here's the, here's the other thing. So Gavin Newsom pushes for and succeeds in passing legislation in California that would ban the sale of electric cars at a at a certain year. I think it is 2025, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe not. Maybe it's 2035. I don't remember the exact year, but eventually, pretty soon, you're no longer going to be able to buy a gas-powered car in California. Literally, like, that same month, Kevin Newsom's like, oh, there's a heat wave and our energy grid really can't handle it. And so I'm just going to ask you guys, if you have electric vehicles, please don't charge them right now. It's just. No, you can't do that. Well, turns out you can do that. And well, he these, did do that. These people are committed to La La Land. So he yeah. go, yeah, no, no, it's all going to work. Uh, well, the infrastructure doesn't support it. Well, it will. You know what I mean? They, these people are committed to just that La La Land will work itself out. And no matter how many simple facts you present to them of you haven't thought this through, this is going to fail and you're going to be punishing the poor and the working class. And there was it's just. And there was something really revealing about what his response was, because it's like he concedes to Anna Kasparian. He goes, yeah, look, I understand where you're coming from. And look, this is going to crush the middle class. And then Anna, interestingly enough, is like, yeah, they're the most fucked over group, the middle class. And like, you know, look, that that's kind of debatable in a sense. Um, it, it depends on what you mean by fucked over. Um, I mean, obviously, like the poor are the most fucked over, you know, in some sense. Um, but in terms of like, if you, what you're talking about in terms of like government, like imposition, uh, the government, like really just like, uh, making people's lives 
much more difficult than they would be or have to be, then yeah, it's the middle class. It's really the upper middle class is who pays like the enormous share of the burden. You know, it's like the guy who's making $50 million a year, um, he puts he puts it into investments, pays a low capital gains tax. He's got, you know, an army of of accountants and, and tax lawyers and stuff like he knows how to play the system. The guy making 400, 500 K a year just gets half of his money stolen from him every year. You know what I mean? Like, that's really that's the reality of the situation. And then, of course, the people at the bottom look at someone making 400, 500 grand a year like whatever, dude, you're killing it. I can't even imagine, you know, making that much money. And so there's kind of like a disconnect there. But like if you're really talking about who's imposed on the most, but at least economically speaking, that's kind of the group. Um, then the people at the very bottom are imposed on in other ways, like, you know, the education that they're they're forced into and the kind of like the living conditions and all that stuff. But regardless of all of that, so Jenk kind of concedes, yes, this is going to be a burden. Yes, I feel your pain. This is really hard. Yes, this is going to crush the middle class. And he almost needs his lifeline to getting back to his entire ideology not being destroyed in this moment. Because you really, if you think about it, the implications of this, absolutely destroy the entire like statist worldview that it's like, Oh yeah, we're imposing costs on people. This, this is going to cause real pain. But what does he say? His, his lifeline is, but we got to do it. We got to go to electric cars because the planet's burning. And so we got to do it. There's no argument. There's no like, well, here's the rationale of the other side. It's just like an a priori. Okay. But let's not forget. It's a given that we're the good guys for wanting to do this. It's, it's a given that this is the correct thing to do. Except maybe, Jenk, consider the possibility that we don't have to go to electric cars and the planet is, in fact, not burning. Which is, by the way, those are two objectively true statements. The planet is not burning. Planet's fine. We don't have to go to electric cars. We don't have the, to do it. And the EVs might not even necessarily be better for the environment because uh, they don't last as long on the road. If there's any battery problems, they just throw them out. Like, and we don't, we're not a P technology yet for combustible engines. We've been driving them for a long time. I don't know. They might've got them to a hundred miles to the gallon. I don't know. They would have necessarily gotten them that good, but I, I'm just saying, it's not like you're ruling out a technology that's been working and we've been improving on. I've got a car now. I'm going to I'm I'm actually for the first time I I just like redid my car, uh like the the top engine bullshit whatever super stuff. Um but like now I'm like fuck, I might not be able to get a new car in 10 years. I might actually consider in a couple years from now that I have to actually buy a car before they discontinue gas vehicles. But the point being without that, I would have kept my car for 20 years. I bet my I bet my Subaru ends up being more environmentally friendly than your EV that you got to get rid of after 10. At best, single accident, you're getting rid of that thing after 5. Yeah. And and then the right, so that's a really interesting like angle also that it's it's actually a, again back to kind of the pencil analogy. It's just like these things are actually a lot more complicated than some bureaucrat just deciding, well, this is this is what's better for the environment. You're like, oh, there's actually a lot of other factors here you're not considering. You don't actually know for sure that this is so true. But the big one that Anna Kasparian hits on at the end, and I think neither of them actually, despite this being an issue they, you know, care about or talk a lot about or whatever i think neither of them have ever actually really thought this through because they go they kind of say it like almost as if it's this um like anecdote 
uh, that's like, well, pff, this was pretty bad. That Gavin Newsom signs this deal that we're not going to make any more uh, gas-powered cars uh, in California. And then that same month, he's got to tell people not to charge their cars because there's a heat wave. And so the energy grid is, is being stressed, you know. But that's not just like an anecdote. That's not just like something that happened once. And then Jenks, you know, conclusion of, yeah, you can't do that. It's like, yeah, we got to do better than that. It's like, no, not only can you do that, this is an inevitability. This is guaranteed to happen. Like, what do you think it looks like when California is all electric cars and there's a heat wave? If it's like this now, if they already now have to tell you not to charge your cars, we'll add tens of millions of more electric cars onto the power grid. This is a guarantee. And then it's really something, of course, it goes back to one of the best exchanges on this ever that we played here on the show between Thomas Massey, the best uh, member of Congress, and uh, Pete Buttigieg, where he, he just breaks this down for him. He's like, look, I forget the exact numbers, but he's like, dude, an electric car is like running 12 refrigerators. So what do you think would happen if in the heat wave this summer, everyone in your neighborhood started running 12 refrigerators? What do you think that would look like? Like, have some common sense here. Dude, when it's hot outside, if it's like in the 90s for a couple weeks, you got a little heat wave, and everyone's running their air conditioner all day long, that puts a strain on the power grid. Everyone knows this. We've all known this since we were little kids. That's like an issue. Sometimes you'll have blackouts when that happens. Sometimes they'll have to tell you, hey, you can't turn your air conditioner below this you know, level. We all ignore it and do it anyway, but whatever. you know. Uh, that's like... This is a thing. So now imagine everyone's running 12 refrigerators in their house during that. Do you think that has an effect? Is it positive or negative? You know, like this is just like a base. This is a mathematical question. It's a guarantee that if we switched to all electric cars, we will have roaming blackouts. That's going to happen. So in addition to all of those things that Rob was talking about, these kind of consumer goods that you're used to having all of your life, there's another pretty major one, electricity. That you will not that you will not have anymore, or at least um, you will be insecure about having. So that's what we're talking about here. Like this is like really serious grown up shit. And these children with this like, well, the world's on fire. Like this is out of a storybook. This is nonsense. The world is not on fire. We're having a debate about whether the sea level will rise a little bit in the next hundred years. We have plenty of time to prepare for that. It's not. This is not a disaster. This is not cities being underwater. This is that is all nonsense. And by the way, and if this was all so inevitable, why do all of these rich progressives keep buying fucking waterfront prop property? Why are you all moving to the fucking coasts? Why is Obama living in freaking uh, uh where Martha's Vineyard with diesel right? generators? <laughs> like what's come on man it's just so childish and but you're actually like fucking with people's lives it's just insane just insane um but interesting to see you know it's like as um there, there's this kind of dynamic that uh happens a lot um where it's like as the left gets crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier which is just like both in the realm of economics and in the realm of like culture. Uh, this is just obviously happening, right? Like if you just went 10 years ago and told some, even a left-wing activist about some of this stuff, they'd be like, no, there's no way we're doing this. 
there's no way we're actually it's like it, it would have been considered almost all of the things that the craziest things that are happening right now would have been considered a silly right wing conspiracy. You know, like if I went back uh, 10 years ago when they were uh, having the debate about gay marriage and I said in 10 years, the debate is going to be about uh, whether um, dudes in dresses should be giving lap dances to six year olds. They would go, that's just obviously insane. Obviously, we're not going to be having that debate. And yet here we are. Um, if you talked about like any of this climate change policy and talked about it 10 years ago, they'd be like, no, it's not going to go like that. But here we are. But so as the left goes crazier and crazier and crazier, you have some of these left wingers, even the ones who have been advocating for it all along, who at a certain point go, this is getting a little crazy for me. Maybe we don't need to take this next step. And then they get attacked by the mob that they've built up over all these years. And what often happens is that then that person, you know, kind of does a heel turn, switches sides and goes, you know, becomes the old, I didn't leave the left, the left left me. You know, one of the problems with this dynamic is that then you have these essentially left wingers who come over and start being like the right wing champions. And this kind of, it kind of keeps this whole dynamic of moving to the left going because now the right wing becomes what the left was five years ago. You know what I mean? And so right. you've almost like conceded that territory. It's like we're on a socialism treadmill. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it just kind of keeps moving into that direction. That's a bad direction to move to. Let me tell you. All right. That's going to be our show for today. Me and Robbie the Fire will be up in Albany, New York tomorrow night. You guys may not get this before we're, uh, we're up there. But if you do, come on out and see us this weekend in Albany. And then uh, in a couple weeks, we'll be out in Chicago at Zany's. ComicDaveSmith.com. Go over there and get some tickets. Anything you want to plug on your way out, let them know, Rob. Uh, Run Your Mouth. Going to do a new uh, episode tomorrow. Did a great episode earlier this week. Go check out Run Your Mouth. Florida later in the month. Uh, Childerberg. Gonna get rid of uh, Carl Schlob. I mean, like we're gonna have a c- ceremony. It worked the last time with Fauci. All legal, you know, witchcraft stuff. Ooh. It's okay. Don't want to make nice. any bad claims here. Uh, yeah, that's, that's about uh, it. Uh, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Check out the website, RobbieTheFire.com. All right. Thanks for watching. Peace. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.